All right, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you this morning. I hope you have your Bible with you and that you'll open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Where we're going to be today, last week uh, we saw a text where Paul answered the question that he actually raised back in chapter 2, verse 16, when he said, who is adequate for these things? And the short answer is, we are. We are adequate for these things, but not on our own. Not by our own worth, not by our own ability or our own strength, rather only by God's grace, his power, and his presence in our lives. We talked about how Paul's confidence is not self-confidence, it is God-confidence. He admits his inadequacy on his own. In himself, he is not adequate. It doesn't come from himself, it comes from God. And the same is true for us. We are not adequate in ourselves But our adequacy comes from God. And he likes it that way. He likes it set up that way so that he gets all the glory. We also saw in the text how this adequacy from God is for the ministry of the new covenant. Ministry of the new covenant, which is better than the old covenant. Because in the new covenant, the spirit gives life. And because the spirit gives life in the new covenant, we preach Christ. That's what we're called to do. To go to the ends of the earth and talk about the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about the offer of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We preach Christ and we pray like crazy. We pray like crazy because if we're the only ones at work, nothing happens. If we preach and the spirit doesn't move, nothing happens. And so we pray like crazy that the Lord will do the things that only he can do in opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears and taking out a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. We preach Christ and we pray like crazy. And at the end of the day, we praise the Lord for the great things he has done. If anything good happens, it is of the Lord, right? And so he gets the glory. This week, we're going to continue to see the contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. We're going to see the contrast between the letter and the spirit. I did some color coding of the verses that we're going to look at today that may help us understand what's going on. Um, we're going to kind of keep coming back to this image because I think, it, I think it helps us see the structure of the text and what's going on here. You'll notice that the key verse this week is verse 10. Uh, it's kind of orange, I think. It says, for indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory Because of the glory that surpasses it. The other three verses are going to be three arguments for that same principle. And these arguments that Paul's going to lay out are all what scholars call a fortiori arguments. Arguments from lesser to greater. And they are summed up by these statements even more. Much more. Much more. I think I underlined those uh, in the image that you're seeing. That's the essence of the argument. The key word is glory. That word glory is the Greek word doxa, from which we get our English word doxology. Doxology means literally word of glory. And it refers to that which evokes good opinion or something that has inherent intrinsic worth leading to praise or honor. R.C. Sproul points out that the Hebrew word, right, the Hebrew word that's kind of behind that even in Greek, the Hebrew word that is often translated as glory He says, interestingly, that that Hebrew word, which is translated into English glory, has a root meaning of weight or heaviness. And this offers a clue that glory has to do with weight. And this is confirmed by passages such such as 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, which speaks of the weight of glory. But when we speak of glory as having to do with weight or heaviness, what exactly do we mean? This is what I want you to pick up. Essentially, we are talking about worth or value. 
worth or value is the idea that we want to hang on today. The surpassing worth or value of the new covenant. Essentially, what we will see today is that the old covenant, the ministry of the letter, the ministry of Moses, it had a weight. It had a heaviness. It had a glory. And indeed, that was big glory. But the new covenant, the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of life has a far exceeding weight, a far exceeding glory, a bigger glory. And understanding that positions us as new covenant members to be thankful for the benefits that we enjoy as members of the new covenant, to be thankful for the life that we enjoy as members of the new covenant. And it also positions us to be faithful to endure ministry to others in this new covenant. That's the way Paul is going to apply it as he moves on in the text. Therefore, we do not lose heart because we minister the new covenant whereby the spirit brings life. We do not lose heart. We press on in this service the Lord has called us to. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 uh, verses I mean chapter 3 verse 7 through 11. You can read it on the screen or read it in your text. It says, "But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the spirit fail to be even more with glory?" For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we rejoice in the life that you give by your spirit through the new covenant in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this glorious gospel, you have revealed your justice, your grace, your power, your love, your holiness. We stand amazed and we worship you for you indeed are worthy of our worship. We ask that you would open our eyes to see the great glory of the ministry of the Spirit today. Help us to see the great glory of the ministry of righteousness today. Help us to see the great glory of that which never fades away and let us rejoice in response. And let us proclaim to our neighbors and to the nations and let us persevere with humble confidence in your power for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I've already laid this out in general. Uh, I think it's wise though for us to look at the specifics to start with verse 10, in fact, as it seems to be the thesis, the main idea of the whole section. Verse 10 says, For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. I mentioned a second ago that Paul employs arguments from lesser to greater. In this whole text, just over and over, in fact, four times, an argument from lesser to greater. And we're often familiar with those kind of arguments. But in our modern Western usage... Arguments from lesser to greater tend to diminish the lesser and highlight the greater. In Paul's day, however, that was not the case. These arguments in Paul's day were employed specifically and exclusively to highlight the greaterness of the greater thing. Does that make sense? It was the only purpose, to highlight the greaterness of the greater thing. And in fact, the best way to do that, the best way to do that is to highlight the greatness of the lesser thing. 
So, for instance, what, what, we're, what we're not trying to do is say, oh, the old thing, it was nasty and disgusting, and the new thing, well, it's really good. No, 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 that's not the way Paul is building this argument. In fact, what he's going to do is he's going to say, that old thing, oh, man, it was incredible. It was amazing, and it was wonderful. In fact, it was glorious. But the new thing, oh, it exceeds, far exceeds even that great glory to an extent that we can scarcely imagine. And if Paul's audience had any Jewish background at all, he didn't have to work hard to get them to see the glory of the old covenant. Like his audience, they were not looking at the law. They were not looking at the tablets of stone. They were not looking at Moses and Abraham and those guys and saying, forget about those guys. We don't care anything about those guys. They were losers. No, no, no. They, they had no problem seeing the greatness of the old covenant, the glory of the old covenant. And we're going to talk about specific examples in a minute. But for now, suffice it to say that for them, the days of the patriarchs, the exodus, the kings, the prophets were not looked upon with scorn. And Paul says, you're right, those were glory days. But look, a new day has come that makes those glory days seem like they have no glory at all in comparison. And if that's the argument, I want to hear more about that, right? I want to hear about these true glorious days, that new day, that greater thing. And I want to pause here and say that in all of this, we must not use this text to support any kind of disdain for the law. Like if your reaction to the argument that Paul lays out today is to look with disdain at the law of God, you've missed his point, right? And if you use this text today to excuse some kind of anti-Semitism, some kind of hatred of Jewish people because of this today, you've really missed the point. That is not at all what's going on, and, and uh, that should not be tolerated at, at all. Uh, so don't abuse the text like that. Look at the text, though, and let's zoom in on that word surpasses. The word surpasses, the, because of the glory that surpasses it, that word is rich. It's a compound word that means literally to throw beyond. It's like a, a graphic image word that means to throw beyond. The image is striking. And to help us get a sense, let's imagine together a shot put competition. You know the shot put? Familiar with this? Big, strong dudes, right? 16-pound cannonball. Spin around, spin around, and throw it as far as you can, right? That's the idea. Shall I demonstrate? Actually, I actually ran this, I ran this by uh, Coach, Coach Griff earlier in the week, and he, he offered to bring the implements. Uh, and, and I said, have you seen these arms? And he said, he said, brother, with the Lord, all things are possible. So imagine it. You, you, you get the idea, right? Shot put competition. Imagine that shot put competition happening at Bush Stadium, right? That'd be weird, but for the sake of our, our illustration here, it's going to work. It takes place at Bush Stadium, and the throwers are going to throw from home plate. They're going to throw it as far as they can from home plate. And what you need to know is that the current world record is, is uh, 77 feet, 3 and a half inches. 77 feet, 3 and a half inches is the current world record. That puts the world record just on the backside of the pitcher's mound at Bush Stadium, right? From home plate, just over the pitcher's mound, maybe to the back of that circle. Not to second base, not even close to second base, just beyond the pitcher's mound. And everybody is trying to break that world record. Thrower comes up, a little short of the pitcher's mound. Thrower comes up, hits the pitcher's mound. The fourth thrower in the competition, though, he stands up at home plate, he spins around, spins around, and he throws it 
and it clears the pitcher's mound and goes so far that it lands at second base. Second base is 127 feet, three and three-eighths inches from home plate. That guy just eclipsed the old world record just barely shy of 50 feet beyond the old world record. How do you think the crowd reacts to that? They're amazed, right? Like, we have never seen anything this glorious in our lives. We have never seen anything like this. The crowd goes wild. They celebrate this guy. They pick him up on the shoulders, and they march him around the stadium, and everybody goes crazy, right? It's an amazing new world record. And then the fifth guy comes up, and he's not quite as big as the others, right? Nobody really expects much, but the competition has to go on, right? Everybody else gets a chance to throw. And this next thrower... Stands up, takes his place at home plate, puts the chalk on his neck. Why they do that, I'm not really sure, but he does it all. And he spins around, and he spins around. And as soon as he lets go of that 16-pound cannonball, everybody knows something is different here. And that cannonball sails over the pitcher's mound, and it's still climbing at that point. It sails over second base, and it's still climbing at that point. It gets to where the center fielder usually stands, and he's not finished. It clears the center field wall, and it's still not finished. It goes all the way out of Bush Stadium, lands in the road, and makes a huge crater. How do you think the crowd responds to that? They go crazy. They thought they had just seen something truly glorious, right? We will never see anything like this in the rest of our lives. How can we handle something so glorious? And then another guy stands up and goes so far beyond that that nobody talks about this guy anymore. At least, at least they only talk about him and say, remember when we thought that was really something? Remember when we thought that was amazing and then someone else threw it completely out of the stadium? This is the picture that Paul is painting in verse 10, right? Forevermore, everybody is only talking about that throw that is the greatest in history for the purpose of our illustration, the throw that landed at second base, the new world record, and left the crowd speechless at first. That's the old covenant. That's the ministry of Moses. That's the letter of the law throw then that left the stadium that's the new covenant eclipsing the earlier glory in such a way that it seems to have no glory at all that's what he says in verse 10 for indeed what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it they're surpassing the glory of the new covenant and its ministry that's the point here in this whole text even next week even next week that's the general point but let's look at the various ways paul describes it verse 7 he says But if the ministry of death engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? That's an interesting way to talk about the old covenant, right? The ministry of death? It's not a very nice way to put it, but it corresponds to what we saw in the text last week. The letter kills The letter kills. The ministry is death. Remember, there, last week, we were talking about the law apart from the work of the Spirit, and that idea is developed further in the text here. When we're talking about letters engraved on stones, that seems to be a direct reference to the Ten Commandments. Do those commandments bring life on their own? No. On your own, apart from the Spirit, do the the letters on the stone bring life? No. They bring only death because they tell us the standard and we do not, indeed we cannot, keep that standard. 
They also tell us the consequences for disobedience, which is death. So Paul calls the ministry of death. But recognize this, that the ministry of death, the letters engraved on stone, came with glory. What did glory look like at Mount Sinai when Moses received the law? Did God manifest his glory in that moment? Absolutely he did. Read about it in Exodus. Read about thunder and lightning. Read about smoke and fire. Read about the very earth shaking underneath the people and a trumpet blast that was so loud and so incredible that the people stayed at a distance. They couldn't bear to hear it. Did God manifest his glory in that moment? Absolutely he did in ways that they had not seen before, in ways that left them speechless, in ways that the people could not bear on their own. Did God manifest his glory? He sure did. He came down and met with Moses. Like, talked to Moses. Showed him his glory. And the face of Moses shined with that glory. That's a specific reference to Exodus chapter 34. That's why we had Derek read that text. Moses spent some time in the presence of God on behalf of the people. And when he comes back, His face is shining with the glory of God, residual glory of God. And he covers his face because the people can't even handle that. It seems like they can't even handle the residual, fading, secondhand glory of God. Did God manifest his glory? Yeah, he did in big and powerful ways that the people had not seen before. But Paul mentions here that that glory was fading, fading as it was. That idea is going to come back up later. I'm going to chase it then and not here. But the experience with Moses' face did not last. It seemed like in the text it had to be recharged every once in a while, right? It would start to fade. He would go back and speak with God. It would get charged back up, and the people would be uh, amazed at that. What I want you to see here is that Paul is is laying out that the ministry of death, even the ministry of death, had glory. How much more is the ministry of the Spirit? Now that's interesting, right? Ministry of death compared to the ministry of the Spirit. That's not what we expect as we're reading through the text. If we're going to compare two things, we would compare the ministry of death with the ministry of life. Like that's what we anticipate, right? But he doesn't use that language here. He talks about the ministry of the Spirit, and that's because the Spirit is the one that makes the difference. It is the Spirit that brings life. The Spirit at work brings life. And he can use the law. The Spirit can use the law in the process of bringing life. He uses the law often by showing you your death and by convincing you of your need for a Savior by the letters written on the tablet. And he uses the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to bring life by showing you that Savior that you need so desperately and by granting you faith and repentance. There's an interesting note here on the role of the Spirit in all this. One scholar noted that it's not just the letter of the law apart from the Spirit that brings death. This guy argued that the letter of the gospel, even the letter of the gospel apart from the work of the Spirit, also brings death. Letters don't bring life. Spirit brings life. He uses letters. He leverages letters to bring life, but it is the Spirit who brings life. That idea, it kind of blew my mind when I read it this week, but then I thought, well, that fits kind of with 2 Corinthians chapter 2. When we read about this aroma of Christ, right? The aroma of Christ to some is death. That leads to death. But for others, it's life. 
that leads to life. What's the difference? Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. What makes the difference? The work of the Spirit makes the difference there. That's something to chew on further. Maybe you will this afternoon. If we talked, though, earlier about how do we see the glory in the ministry of death? How do we see the glory at Sinai? We need to also ask the question, how do we see the glory in the ministry of the Spirit? Man, we could talk all day about this, right? How do we see the glory of the ministry of the Spirit? I'll narrow it down to three basic ways. We see the glory in the ministry of the Spirit in indwelling, empowering, and resurrecting. Indwelling, empowering, and resurrecting. In the Spirit, God is with us. Always with us. Indeed, in us. Not over in a tent or a temple to be accessed occasionally with great care, but in us and with us. God in us and with us in the Spirit. Empowering. We talk about God granting us by the Spirit new desires and new abilities to trust and obey. Have you ever tried in your flesh to trust and obey? Yeah, you fail. But by the Spirit, you're able, you're empowered, you're given a desire to obey, to do what God wants you to do. And by resurrecting, by the Spirit, God brings life where there's only death. By the Spirit, he opens blind eyes and unstops deaf ears. By the Spirit, God removes hearts of stone and grants hearts of flesh. This is what he does by the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit is glorious, and we've just scratched the surface here. Is glorious, not because of smoke and fire, not because of trumpets and earthquakes, but because of life. Because of life that comes by the Spirit. It's glorious. And so I invite you in this moment to rid yourself of this romantic perspective on the days of Moses, as if those were the glory days. Those days were glorious. But listen, if Moses was in the room, he would be amazed. He would be amazed at what we are experiencing in this moment. He would be like, you're crazy to want to go back to those days. You want smoke and fire over the indwelling of the Spirit? You want want earthquakes and lightning rather than the very presence of God in your life and new life, resurrected life? Moses' days were glorious days, but friends, we live in the glory days. The days of the new covenant and the days of the ministry of the Spirit. We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Moses could not imagine entering the presence of God with confidence. We have one sacrifice once for all for the forgiveness of sins that cleanses even the conscience from sins. Not a reminder of sins, but an atonement, a propitiation for sins. We have the full counsel, the written word of God. Moses had to go up on the mountain occasionally to hear what the Lord might say. You have the word of God in your lap, in your hands, in your pocket. These are the glory days, better than the days of Moses. Read on, verse 9, makes another argument. He says, for the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. (laughs) Ministry of death, ministry of condemnation is what we're talking about here. Harsh? Maybe, but true. Let's look at it. Let's look at the letter. Let's get out the tablets of stone and take a look. Have no other gods. Condemned. Don't make any idol or likeness. Condemned. Right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Can you get through? Can you get through this without experiencing condemnation? 
No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You cannot. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For as many as are the works of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. He's like, if you're going to do it by the letter, you better keep every single letter, and no one can or will do that. And so you stand condemned. It's the ministry of condemnation. Apart from the Spirit, right? Letters on the stone... Apart from the Spirit, letters on the stone, all on their own, only lead to condemnation. This idea of condemnation takes the earlier idea of death a step forward. And listen, that has glory. When we talk about the tablets of stone, that has glory. In what way does that have glory? In what way does that ministry of condemnation have glory? Well, because it demonstrates God's character. In the law, in the letters, on the stone, we see something of the character of God and the nature of God, the attributes of God. We learn about his holiness. We learn about his justice. We learn about his righteousness. We learn a lot about God in the law. And so it has glory. But a greater glory is the ministry of righteousness. That, again, is surprising, right? It's interesting. We don't expect... uh, We don't expect him to contrast the ministry of condemnation with the ministry of righteousness. But that's the way the Spirit works. Through the gospel in the new covenant, he makes us righteous. It's a theological concept called justification. Justification, wherein we are declared righteous. Wayne Grudem describes, defines justification as an instantaneous legal act of God in which he first thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and second, declares us to be righteous in his sight. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen in the old covenant. That doesn't happen with the letter engraved on stones. No one is declared righteous by that. Everyone is condemned by that. But in the new covenant, in Christ Jesus, by the spirit, we are declared righteous. It's like courtroom language. He considers us righteous. He considers the righteousness of Christ to our account And he declares us righteous. The Baptist faith and message, the doctrinal statement here, First Baptist Church says, justification is God's gracious and full acquittal. Full acquittal upon principles of his righteousness of all sinners who repent and believe in Christ. Justification brings the believer unto a relationship of peace and favor with God. Peace and favor with God never accomplished by the letters on the stone. Glorious as they were, revelatory as they were of God's character, they didn't bring people into peace and right standing with God. Only the Spirit does that through the new covenant by the sacrifice of Christ. And listen, Paul understood this. Probably better than any of us, Paul understood this. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3, speaking of his, his experience of justification. He says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless." But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing, same word, 
the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I might gain Christ. And listen, may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That's better. Righteousness according to the law will not get you right standing with God. You cannot have it. But righteousness that comes by faith through Christ, that will get you right standing with God. You'll be declared righteous. The righteousness of Christ credited to your account by faith. He describes it not so much in experiential terms in Romans chapter 3 when he says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Ministry of condemnation, that was glorious because it revealed the character of God. Ministry of righteousness, eclipsing that glory because it can make sinners whole. It can make sinners righteous. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, that's a greater glory. Sinners justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is a greater glory. Being adopted in the family of God is a greater glory. Not condemned, but forgiven. Not dead, but alive. By the Spirit, as an act of God's righteousness through the sacrifice of Christ, that's the ministry of the new covenant. And that's a greater glory. Look at verse 11. This is the last, last argument he makes. For if that which fades away has glory, much more that which remains is in glory. That which fades away, in some sense, the old covenant was always fading away. It was always only intended to pave the way for the new covenant in Christ Jesus. It was always, in the old covenant, always looking ahead to something better. It was always intended to be temporary until Christ came. And Moses' face is the image, right? Moses' face that was fading is the image of that. He didn't maintain that glory. He only reflected it, and only for a time. The old covenant, ministry of condemnation, ministry of death, fading away. So, going back to that would be absurd, right? That's the argument that the author of Hebrews makes, right? If you've tasted the new, greater, surpassing glory of the new covenant, why would you want to go back to that which fades away? And maybe, maybe the folks in Corinth are struggling with a similar thing. Maybe you and I, in some weird way, are struggling with that similar, oh, to go back to the days of Moses, when God spoke, when God moved with power. It's a ministry of death. It's a ministry of condemnation. We live in the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of life, the ministry of righteousness. Why would we ever go back? Much more glory has that which remains. The author of Hebrews calls the new covenant an eternal covenant. That's interesting, right? 
That was a new covenant and eternal covenant. Hebrews 13. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. Even Jesus our Lord equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We are not looking for something new. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's finished, it's completed, it's done. We're not looking for something new. In fact, all of our forward looking is not for something new. It's for the culmination of this covenant in which we live, when we will see him face to face. And we will no longer live by faith, but by sight. That which had glory now has no glory in light of the surpassing glory of that which has come, right? We are living in this great glory. So why why does Paul have to hammer this home with so many blows? Why four times does he have to say it in the text today? Why four times does he have to say it in the text next week? Why are his people having such a hard time appreciating and seeing the surpassing glory of the new covenant? Why has he got to say it so many times? Well, maybe because of the way they grew up. Maybe a lot of them have a Jewish background and and they grew up in that old covenant and so they could apprehend that glory and were not as familiar with the greater glory of the new covenant. Maybe it's because of the influence of the false teachers. That's probably a big part of what's going on here. But that doesn't really matter for us today. My question is, why are we having a problem? Why are we having a problem appreciating the greater glory, the surpassing glory of the new covenant? Part of the reason is some of you have never tasted it. Part of the reason is some of you are still dead in your sins. Like the ministry of death, fully operational in your life. The ministry of condemnation, fully operational in your life. You haven't tasted the ministry of the Spirit. You haven't tasted the ministry of life. You haven't tasted the ministry of righteousness yet. Some of you do not apprehend the greater glory of the new covenant because you've never embraced it. You are still dead in your sins. You are still under condemnation from a holy God. If that's you today, I've got good news. The good news is that Jesus came and died for you. Jesus came and took your sins to his account and suffered in your place. And he died for you. They put him in a tomb and three days later he came out. He rose victorious over death and sin. And he offers you life. He offers you forgiveness. He He offers you righteousness as a gift Grace, right? As a gift that you receive, not by working and struggling and doing, but by trusting and depending entirely upon him. So I'm inviting you to do that right now. Depend on him. Turn away from that old way of rejecting Jesus. Turn away from that old way of life of sin and put all your trust in Christ and live for him for the rest of your days. I would love, Dylan would love, Joe would love to talk to you more if you want to know want to know more about this, what that looks like, we'd love to chat with you in just a minute. What's keeping us from seeing and appreciating the glory of the new covenant? Well, some have never tasted of it at all. Others of us have tasted of it, but we are ignorant of the truth. We've tasted of it, but that's all we did. We got a, we got a taste of it, and, and we, we don't know about the great glories of the new covenant because we've never gone any further. We cannot sing with a clear conscience, Lord, take me deeper into the glories of Calvary because all you want is a shallow end.
Some of you don't appreciate the glories of the new covenant because you don't know about them yet. Simply aren't spending enough time in God's word. Simply aren't spending enough time with his people. Simply aren't spending enough time considering the glories of Calvary. You're ignorant of the truth. Or maybe you're indulging the flesh. Maybe you don't appreciate the glories of the new covenant because you're indulging the flesh. You've got some sinful pattern in your life that has you blinded to the glories of the new covenant. You don't see the glories of God's spirit and his grace and his gospel because you like the glories that the world has to offer. You like the pleasures that are out there. And so you don't appreciate the greater glories ministry of the spirit you're indulging the flesh or maybe you're distracted by lesser things man this happens in the church all the time we get all excited about good things that are not main things maybe some pet project some idea something you might call ministry but you're not delighting in the new covenant you're not delighting in the grace of god you're not delighting in justification the ministry of righteousness the ministry of the spirit the ministry of life You're wearing yourself out and not seeing the greater glory. Or maybe you just have become familiar with the spectacular. Maybe that's a problem in this room. A lot of you grew up in a church just like this, constantly singing about and preaching about the greater glories of the new covenant, constantly affirming and declaring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's become boring to you because you're so familiar with it. Well, how do you, whatever is keeping you from seeing and appreciating the glory of the new covenant, how do we continue to live in awe of the glories of the new covenant? I think the answer in all four of those categories is to meditate, to meditate on the gospel, to preach the gospel to yourself, to ponder the deep truths of the new covenant, to delight in the experience of the indwelling spirit, to rejoice, sing, sing. Did you, were you pumped that you, you sang a minute ago, I know how the story ends. We will be with you again. Why? Because of the ministry of death and condemnation? No, because of the ministry of life. Because of the ministry of the Spirit. Because of the ministry of righteousness. Because of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Singing is so helpful to let us stand in awe of the glories of the new covenant. Remembering these things is important. So let's do that. Let's meditate and ponder and sing and remember. Another question we need to consider is what impact does the truth of the greater glory of the new covenant have on our lives and ministries? We'll see this teased out more as we move on in the text. But if we are totally convinced of the greater surpassing glory of the new covenant, we will preach with confidence. We will go on preaching with confidence because we believe that lives will really be changed and they will be changed forever. We are beneficiaries and servants of this new covenant, ministry of the spirit, the ministry of righteousness. We are servants and beneficiaries of a glory that shines more brightly than anything else and never fades away. That's what we're a part of. That's the ministry that we have. So we keep on going, even when times get tough. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, help us, all of us, to see and appreciate the surpassing glory of the new covenant. 
the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of life, the ministry of righteousness. For those among us who are dead in their trespasses and sins, we pray that you will bring them to life. That you will bring them in to your new covenant, to your family, to your church. Pray that you will grant life where there's only death. That you will, by your spirit, open their blind eyes, unstop their deaf ears, take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Teach them about your holiness and their sinfulness. Teach them about Christ dying on the cross for them. And, O Lord, grant them faith, a trust in Jesus. Grant them repentance to turn to him. Save them for your own glory, your great glory. And God, for those of us who have tasted this greater glory, help us to keep on seeing and appreciating, keep on serving and ministering, keep on delighting in and singing about, meditating and pondering, remembering, standing in awe of your amazing grace granted to us as a gift. Help us respond rightly to your word today, we pray in Christ's name.